Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
gentlemen, will you come forward and receive our offering at this time? Brother Pettigold, will you bless this offering, please, sir? he lives. I can face tomorrow. Mr. Gaither hit that one out of the park, didn't he? Because he lives, all fear is gone. We don't have to worry about anything. Isn't that great? We read the end of that book. We know who comes out on the good. Choir, will you stand as we continue to worship before the throne of God?
stanza. My sin, oh the bliss. My sin. Jesus is
Congregation this morning, there's Mr. Bobby Joe Reed back there on the back row. There's a bunch of people in this room that mean a lot to me, but uh, Mr. Bobby Joe and, and my favorite people on this face of this earth, my grandparents are here today. But Bobby Joe, your wife Faye, you sing this song. Until then, my heart will go on singing. I remember Mama Faye singing this song. At all the hymn sings, we'd travel all over the country, all over Wilson County, and I'd ride in that big car with her, and we'd go from little country church to little country church, and um, the first song service I ever led was right here in this pulpit at a hymn sing at Rocky Valley. I, I just remembered that the other day. Anyway, thank you, Bobby, for, for your influence on, and for, for allowing Faye to, to have a part in my life. We appreciate that. Until then, my heart will go on singing.
to the Caribbean, I come back, and y'all don't look a doggone bit better than you did when I left. <laughs> because you looked great before I left, that's exactly right. I know some of you, I know what you're thinking, my goodness, he went on a cruise ship, he come back thinner and better looking, I didn't know he could do it. For those of you that thought that, you should see your eye doctor this week. I would like to thank you. It is a pleasure to be back here this morning. It is a pleasure to gather here with the church. Uh, I thank you for the freedom uh, to take a, a Sunday off, to take a week off and, and go spend some time with uh, my wife and to relax and uh, to, to refocus and uh, spend some time enjoying God's beautiful creation, uh, places in God's creation that as a boy I never dreamed I'd see. Uh, and so I thank you for the opportunity to do that. I am also very thankful to have the opportunity to come back to this wonderful church and to preach the word of God to the people of God this morning. I'm very thankful for this pulpit and for all of you. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture and we're going to be looking at a subject that, that we need to study closely. Uh, not that there's any subject in Scripture that we don't need to study closely, but this one particularly, I feel like we need to focus on as the people of God, and that is that we need to ask ourselves this question, what does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like? That we, we should ask ourselves this question, because if we have been saved, if we have been set free from the burden of sin, if we have been redeemed by Jesus and His precious blood then we're saved for a purpose. We're saved for a reason. We're saved uh, to go forth and to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with the entire world. We are the disciples of Jesus Christ in this world today. And, and if we are those disciples, if we are those messengers to the world, I think we would do well to look at the 12 who walked closely with Jesus in his time. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at a few things from their life and ask ourselves this question. Do we look the way they looked? Are we doing the things that they did? Uh, are we heeding the call that Jesus gave to them? Because, my friends, if it's the call that Jesus gave to them, it's the same call that Jesus gives to us this very morning. So please stand, if you're able, in the house this morning in honor and reverence of the holy word of our holy God from the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And then he called his twelve disciples together... And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff nor bag, nor bread nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. 
And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let us pray. God our Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your spirit's presence in our music service this morning, Lord God. We thank you we could sing songs that we pray glorified your holy name. God, we thank you for a verse of a song where we can see not just my sins in part, but my sins the whole were nailed to an old rugged cross, Lord Jesus. The ultimate display of mercy is that we have salvation in you. God, we thank you for that salvation. We praise you for that. And God, let everything we say and do this morning, let it honor you and glorify you. If there be any spirit in this house that would hinder us from worshiping you, God, please escort it from the premises at this time. God, change us. And it's in your precious name that we pray. As all God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. Now, as we dive in this morning... We're going to find ourselves in an interesting uh, place in the text. Uh, an interesting place in the Lord's ministry, you might say. Is this is the first time when Jesus would send his 12 disciples out. Uh, up until this point in the ministry of our Lord, uh, he's done all the preaching. He's done all the teaching. Uh, he's done all the healing. He's done all the casting out of the demons. He's done uh, uh, all of the, the answering of the questions. He's done all the speaking on their behalf. Uh, he was a one-man show, you might say. Now, for timeline purposes, so we all know where we're at, we are essentially halfway through Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. We're basically 18 months from the cross of Calvary here. And, and, and in terms of the city of Galilee, where this story takes place, we're on an even shorter timeline in terms of how long Jesus will be tarrying there because later on in this chapter, we're going to see that Jesus begins to point himself toward Jerusalem. He begins to put the things in motion and begin his journey toward Jerusalem where he would ultimately die on Calvary's cross. And so in the city of Galilee, the time that Jesus is going to be there has grown even shorter. He's 18 months from the cross in his earthly ministry, but he's just a few months from his time of leaving Galilee. And it seems that Jesus, knowing that he's about to leave Galilee, kind of, of has this, this, this last, not, not last ditch as, as in desperation, but this last effort to go and evangelize Galilee before he leaves. And, and so Jesus looking to share the gospel with as many as possible, to share his message with as many as possible before leaving, he, he multiplies himself, so to speak, by sending out his disciples. And that brings us to our first point this morning. There's the authority and the message that we're going to see in the first two verses. Jesus is, is sending his disciples together. He calls the twelve together. And he, and he says basically to them, you're going to do what I've been doing. You're going to start doing what I've been doing, and that is sharing the gospel message. And he said, he gave them some other power too, if you look in the first few verses. It says, he gave them the power to cure diseases and the power to cast out demons. Jesus here is the authority. Under the authority of his father, he's going to pass the power on to the disciples. He's getting ready to send them out. He says, you're going to go and you're going to preach the simple gospel message of, of Jesus Christ. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to preach my message. And when you go, I'm going to give you the power to do the healing and, and, the, and, the, and the casting out of the demons and all of those things that I've been doing. I'm going to bestow that power upon you. I'm going to give you the power to do that. I'm, I'm giving you the message. I'm giving you the power to go out and preach the message. I'm giving you everything you need to go out and do what I've been doing because there is a lost and dying world in Galilee and I'm about to depart from Galilee and I want to make sure that we preach in Galilee to as many people as we can before we go. And so you're going to share the gospel. Now, why did Jesus bestow this power upon these men suddenly? They were mostly fishermen. None of them had any real skill 
skill set that would have said, hey, that's a healing guy right there. That's a guy that cast out demons. No more you'd said, that's the guy, if I, if I need a mess of fish caught for a fry, I'd go see that guy. But not if I need a demon cast out. Not if I need my cancer healed. Not if I need my boy healed from his disease. And so why were they given this power suddenly to go out and do these things? Well, remember, in Jesus' time on this earth, the New Testament wasn't yet written, obviously, because it's about him, and he's still here. And so at this time, they didn't have the New Testament by which to verify the message that they were preaching. And so what did Jesus do in his time on this earth that kind of, that kind of pointed to the fact that he was of God, that he was God? He did miracles, right? He did signs. He did healing. He cast out demons. He healed diseases. He raised people from the dead. He did all of these things. And if you look in the Gospels, you'll see that he did these signs and these miracles, not just to show that he could. He did these signs and these miracles that we might believe, right? He did those things that everybody that looked around would have to look at Jesus because he knew that he was a controversial figure, right? He went against the religious standard of that day. He went against the things that, that people would want to grab a hold of. He was a, he was a polarizing figure. You either believed on him or you were doomed. That's a polarizing figure. And so Jesus knew that the message wouldn't necessarily be popular, particularly among the Jewish religious folk. And so he, he began to do these signs and miracles so that as they looked upon them, the people had no choice but to look at it and go, this man... This is not just a teacher. This is not just a rabbi. This is not just a prophet. He does these things. He must be God. He must be sent from the creator of the world. And so Jesus goes about, he does these signs and these miracles, and it validates that he is who he says he is when he's preaching. And so Jesus is sending the disciples out to share the same message that he's been sharing. So he gives them the power to do the same things that he's been doing to validate that message as he sends them out. And he sends them with the same authority. Go, preach the message, do the signs, do the wonders, so that anybody in the message must look and say, this, this message is truly from God. We have no question that this message is truly from God. And today, church, might I just tell you, we have the same calling and we have the same authority. Remember the great commission that Jesus gives us? What is it? To go out, preach, and make disciples, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Before he gives us that, he says, all authority has been given to me. And then he sends us out. You say, well, well Brother Jason, I don't know that I don't feel like I have the same miraculous power that those disciples have to go out and, and do the healing. I don't know that I can, can, can do those things that, that validate the message that I'm preaching. Well, you're right. You don't need them. Because you have the complete, total word of God by which you can validate your message. I don't need to be able uh, to go out and, and, and raise somebody from the dead to validate that the message that I'm preaching is true because I have the word of God that says that God raised the little girl from the dead. I have the word of God that says that God cast out the demons. I have the New Testament which says that he was able to cause the, the blind to see and the lame to walk and the mute to speak and, and he caused the deaf to hear and, and he did all of these things. That's why I don't need to be able to do those things with a touch of my hands. I only need to point to, to the Father who does these things and say, look, this is a God who did it over and over and over again. It's the same God that did it and he can still do it today. And I can preach with all authority that the same God of the New Testament is still in the business of being God today. And I don't need to be able to do those things. I don't need to, to, to call you up here and, and conk you on the head and call you healed. I don't need to do that. I have no authority to do that. I have no reason to do that. But what I do have the authority and the power to do is come to you in your time of need and say, I know a man that can. And I know a man that can't. But I can point you to the one who will. Right? We stand with the authority and the measure of the word of God. And we stand with the same call to go out and preach the same message. Message. 
Why do we go preach the same message? Because the salvation has always been through the name of Jesus Christ. And that's it. There is no other way. There is no other name given under heaven by which men are saved than the name of Jesus. It's the same message that Peter was sent out preaching right here in Luke chapter 9. It's the same message that Timothy was left preaching in Thessalonica. It's the same message that Paul spoke to the Sanhedrin. And it's the same message that if my children's children live, the same message that they'll be preaching 150 years from now, if the Lord tarries 2,000 years from now, my friends, it'll still be the same message by which people are saved. There will never be another way by which people are saved than the name of Jesus Christ. We have the authority and we have the message and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? God is a holy God. And that man is a sinful man. And because of our sin, we've been separated from a holy God. And that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be made right with a holy God. What are we going to do with Jesus? That's the gospel. It's not complex. It's not difficult. It's very simple. Jesus died that sinful man could be made reconciled to a holy God. What are we going to do with that? Will we follow him? Will we hear the message or will we reject it? So there's an authority and there's a message. But friends, there's also a trust and a contentment. A trust and a contentment. Jesus sends them in verse 2 and in verse 3... He starts to give them some traveling instructions. So he says, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey. Give them some instructions. He says, all right, go. I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you the power. Now go. By the way, don't take anything with you. You know, this past week, we went on vacation. Most of you know that. And so last, last Wednesday, Thursday, I began to give my wife some packing instructions for the journey. I said, now, honey, I want you to remember, we're only going to be on that boat five days. We don't need 27 outfits and 11 pairs of shoes. Pack light for the journey. Now, my reasoning was that I knew it was a long way from that boat to get off that boat, and I didn't want to have to drag that much stuff draped around my neck and my shoulder and friends picking up bags for me and everything else. My reasoning was limited space. But Jesus here begins to give a command, take nothing for the journey, and and my friend, I can't help but believe it had nothing to do with the amount of space on the back of that camel or donkey that they were going to take with them. I don't believe it had anything to do with Jesus being concerned with whether their back would be sore from having too heavy a a, a backpack. He gives his instruction, take nothing for the journey, because he's going to make a point that if they're going to go and preach his name, they're going to have to trust him for everything. They're going to have to trust him for everything. He he gets pretty specific with his take nothing for the journey. And I feel like that's because Jesus knows how, how we are, right? He's going to say, take nothing for the journey, and then disciples are immediately going to say, well, what about, what about my extra stick? He said, no, I said, take nothing for the journey. Well, what, what about, what about some, some bread? Can I take some bread? Take nothing for the journey. Jesus, can I, take my, can, I, can I take my bag? Take nothing for the Jesus, it's awful sandy out here. Can I take an extra, an extra shirt? Take Nothing for the journey. And Jesus said, I'm just going to cut all those questions off and get right to the heart of it. He says, take nothing for the journey. Not your staffs, your bags, your breads, your monies. Don't take two tunics with you. Go with nothing. Now, the Bible, the Gospels particularly, are written and there's often a presentation of the same story in different places in the Gospels. Now, for all you Bible scholars out there, as you hear this story, you say, I think that's in another Gospel. You're correct. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and in, in verse 8 
of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, as, as Mark writes the same story, he says that Jesus says to them, take just one staff. Luke says, Jesus said, take no staff. So does the Bible contradict itself there? Well, no. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. In that day, the, the terrain was rugged. It was a difficult travel as they went through sand and they went through rock. They went up and they went down the hills and it was normal. You, you had to travel with a staff. You couldn't hold yourself up without a staff. You had to have a, a staff. And, and so in, in Mark, Mark's just being more specific. He says, Jesus said, only take the one that you have to have with you to walk. And Luke, he says, don't carry a staff. And what Jesus is saying when he says, don't carry a staff, is he's saying, don't take an extra staff with you. Now, if you're walking with a staff on rocky terrain, what's likely to happen to that stick? They didn't have fiberglass or metal or aluminum, right? They, they must have carved them out of cacti for all I know. But they had one staff with them, and it was likely that it would break. If you had to have it to get around and you knew there was a good chance your staff would break, what would be normal is that you would take an extra staff with you, wouldn't you? Because you didn't want to take a chance of not being able to walk around. And also what was normal in that time was thieves and burglars on the road, so you might even take your extra walking staff, and then you might have a short staff tucked away so that you could beat the burglars away if they showed up. And what Jesus says, don't take... No extra sticks with you. What Jesus was telling them is you're not going to need the extra staff. I will be with you the whole journey. If the staff breaks, I'll keep you on your feet. If you hit your knees, I'll strengthen you while you crawl. But don't take an extra stick with you. That would, you would depend on your own provisions instead of what I'm giving you. You don't need an extra staff. I'm going to sustain you. Jesus said, don't, don't take a bag with you. Now, that literally translates to, to, to be like a beggar's bag. And so in that time, uh, the best way I know to describe it is a fanny pack. Some of you think the fanny pack is the greatest Modern invention, some of you think it's the worst fashion statement ever. Wherever you land on the fanny pack makes me no difference. But that's basically what it was. It was a bag that would kind of go around your waist. And the beggars would wear it so that as you journeyed to and fro and you begged for a coin, people could, could give you a coin and you kind of slip it in your fanny pack and keep up with it, right? You kind of hold on to it that way. And, and so Jesus is saying you don't need to take that with you because friend as you go on this journey if you have a bag to put things in you're going to be tempted to take things from people I'm giving you a lot of power here to go out and heal and to go out and cast out demons and to go and see people in a time when they're really going to be looking for things that they need. And as you do those things, your temptation is going to be to take the things that they're giving you. But you haven't earned this power. I've given you this power. You have no authority and no right for which to charge for what you're doing. And so I don't want you to take a bag with you. Because I want the people to know as you go and you do these things, it's simply by compassion and it's simply to show the power of Jesus Christ. So don't take a bag. Don't take money with you. You're not going to need money. I'm going to provide you everything you need. Don't take bread with you. You're not going to need that. When, you're, when it's time for you to eat, somebody's going to feed you. Don't take an extra shirt with you. The one you got will be sufficient. And Jesus is essentially saying here, if you're going to preach my gospel, you've got to be completely dependent on me. You take any of these other things with you, you're going to be depending on your own provisions. I need you to learn that I'm enough. I need you to learn that I'm sufficient. Look at verse 4 with me, though. We see another Aspect. He says, in whatever house you enter, stay there and depart from there. In other words, Jesus is saying, as you enter in this land, as a door is open to you, 
it might not be a five-star resort. It may not be the biggest house in town. You may be sleeping on the floor. But be content with what I've provided for you and realize that I've given you everything you need. Don't go in and begin to position yourself as the man healing diseases needing the bigger house or the more comfortable bed. You go in and you be content with the food and you be content with the lodging that I have provided ahead of time for you. Because I need you to learn that I am sufficient for all of your needs. And this is a training from Jesus. So well, how do you know that, Brother Jason, that this is a, a training run that, that Jesus is sending his disciples on here? Well, if you, if you were to fast forward to Luke chapter 22, you would see that Jesus references this time in Luke chapter 9 as he's talking to his disciples. And, and he says this, he says, Remember when I sent you out with nothing you didn't take an extra stick. You went with the clothes that you already had on your back. You didn't take any money. You didn't take any bread with you. You didn't even have a bag to, to, carry, to carry coins in. You had nothing. And in verse 35, he says, You remember when I sent you out? Did you lack anything? And of course, the disciples on the backside of this journey had to respond astoundingly well well no of course you provided everything that we needed Jesus says listen now when you go out if you've got a money bag take it if somebody wants to bless you you can receive it take an extra garment with you it might get hot it might get cold the wind may blow don't be silly go ahead and take it and there are burglars on the road. Carry a sword of protection. If you don't have one, sell one of your garments and, and take a sword of protection. Take an extra stick with you. It may break. And Jesus is essentially saying, I'm preparing you for the time when I'm gone from this earth. See, right now in Luke 9, he sends them out. They're going to come back to him. He said, there's going to be a time where I'm going to be gone and you're going to have to depend on me and your faith is going to have to be strong and you're going to have to trust me and the only way I can train you for that is by sending you out with nothing and letting you learn that even when I send you with nothing, you have all you need if you have me. And folks, we have to realize that. If we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to be his messengers and we're called to be his... Let me, let me rephrase that. Not if we are his messengers. We are his messengers. Think about it. There's not a backup plan. You ever think about that? Like that, that gets motivating, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't have a backup plan other than his, his church is to share his gospel. So it's not if we will share it. it we do share it. Now, you say, well, I, I don't share it very often, Brother Jason. Well, guess what? You're supposed to. You are the method by which the gospel is spread in this lost and dying world. And if you're not doing it, who's going to? There's not a backup plan. Why? Because if you're saved, if you're truly saved, if you've truly been set free, there's nothing you ought to want to do more than tell somebody else how it happened. My goodness, folks, if there were a clinic on the corner, I've said this before, if there were a clinic on the corner of Main Street that healed cancer, folks would be lined up for miles and miles around because every one of us would go out and say, y'all know that clinic heals all cancer over on Main Street. It can fix it all. If there were a, a clinic over in Nashville that, that made everyone no longer have heart attacks, there's some pill you could take, and nobody would ever have a heart attack again. Well, we tell everybody about that clinic that could fix heart attacks from now on, and everybody would go. 
Folks, we have a Savior that's above cancer and above heart attacks. He can set people free from the burden of sin so that if they're not healed from cancer on this earth, they walk into the next life present with the Savior, praising the Lord, raising the holy hands of God. We've got a man that can. We've got the gospel message in our hands and we walk around with our mouth shut like we're scared somebody's going to find out that Jesus saves. What's the matter with us? We don't trust Jesus with everything. And we think we got to hold on to something. Our pride. What will they think of me? I've tried my best to make people happy. You know what I figured out? Can't do it. But if I can lay my head down at night and say, I feel like I honored God. Whew. I'm not saying you should ever go through your life saying, I don't care what other people think. You should go through your life saying, I care what God thinks. And if you do what God has commanded you to do, more often than not, most people, most people will be okay with you. There's a message and there's an authority. There's a trust and a contentment. But my friends, there is a discernment in our serving. There is a discernment in a serving. Verse 5 introduces an interesting concept. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Whoever will not receive you. That means that when you go out and preach the message, this is the disciples, right? Now listen, guys, I'm sending you out. You've got all the authority to cast out demons. You've got all the authority to heal sickness. You've got all the authority that I've ever had to do all of the things that I've done to validate the message that you're going to preach. But unfortunately, there are going to be some people that reject the message. This is the disciples. And Jesus says... You go and preach, and there's going to be people that don't. They're not going to receive it. They're going to reject it. Matter of fact, they may even reject it in such a fashion that they run you out. And Jesus says, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that place. Now, the Jewish people that they were going to share the gospel with would have understood this practice because they, they put it into place. See, when... Ever a Jewish person would travel into a Gentile land as they began to return into the Jewish land, what they would do is they would shake the dust off of their feet and they would shake off their tunics and they would shake all the sand off. And, and they would do that right there before they crossed in to their homeland. And the reason they did that is it was to symbolize that place over there is filthy and tainted and awful and I don't even want to bring the dirt back to mingle with the dirt in my holy land. How conceited a thought. I don't want to mix with them. I don't even want their dirt touching my dirt. And Jesus says, if they reject my gospel message, when you walk out of there, you do the same thing. You don't taint the next preaching with those who reject it. You don't spend your time dwelling there with those who reject the message because there's plenty of people who need to hear it. Don't spend all your time casting everything over here and miss out on moving on and preaching my gospel message to somebody that needs to hear it. You ever heard the term, don't cast your pearls before the swine? Same, same concept. Jesus is telling them, not everybody's going to accept the gospel message. Some are going to cling to their own ways and their own traditions. Some are going to think that their way is better than the method that you're preaching. Some are going to think they've already got plenty of religion. Some are going to think they got their own religion. Some are going to think they're good enough without the message. And that's okay. That's not on you. You're a farmer. You just keep sowing seeds of the gospel. And if they cast you out and they reject the message, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Shake the dust off your feet and move on, my friends. Because there's a lost and dying world outside their door that needs to hear the gospel message. If sowing the seeds 
of the gospel isn't enough for them. That's not a problem with the message. It's a problem with their sin. You spend too much time worrying in there, and you spend too much time arguing there, and you spend too much time worrying on, on, this, on this one thing, and you never do what God called you to do for all of these other people. You'll miss out preaching to all those who are yearning to hear the message. Church, that's the case thousands of years later. Not everybody we share the gospel with is going to accept it. Many will reject it. Many will send you away. We've got to be able to discern when the time is to move on and sow seeds on a different ground. You know, that's one of the greatest skills that an old farmer used to have, wasn't it? of knowing when not to sow seeds in the same field anymore. Because if you continued to sow seeds in the same field over and over and over again, the yield each year would get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the old farmer's got to know when it's time to go sow his seeds in a different field. And sharing the gospel, we're just like that farmer, right? Our job is to sow the seeds. And God reaps the harvest. We're not called to get a harvest. If we could get a harvest, we would mess it up. God says keep sowing seeds. And we have to discern when that field is not where we sow our seeds anymore. And we go to another field. Does that mean we stop praying for that person that rejected? No. Of course not. We pray. But we've already sowed the seeds. And we pray that they take root and that God gets the harvest. We don't hinder the ministry that God has called us to moving forward, looking backwards. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard about somebody getting saved. And I think, man, I told them about Jesus 10 years ago. And 10 years later, they got saved. Did that person that told them 10 years later tell it better than I did? Maybe, but I doubt it. Because the message is simple. I'm not all that smart, but I know the message of Jesus. I just took that seed longer to take root. But you know the beauty of it is the harvest isn't mine, whether they accept the first time they hear or ten years later. The harvest is still God's. Verse 6 says, They departed and preached the gospel and healed everywhere. They got their marching orders and they went to work. They went with compassion. They went with a simple message of Jesus. They went with a trust in Jesus to provide everything they needed. And they went with a desire to serve and a spirit of discernment to know when to move on. Church, we need to look like these disciples. Because we're called to the same job now as they were called to then. So how do we respond to this this morning? Some of us need to be focusing on step one, don't we? we got to get busy sharing the gospel message. You've already been given the authority, you've already been given the power, and you already know the message. If you've been saved, you've got no excuse for why you don't share salvation with somebody, why you don't share Jesus with somebody. Some of us have become so focused on our own method of securing our, our finances, our own method of securing our our lives, our own method of, of doing these things that we no longer trust in God to provide for us. Don't get me wrong. I will never, ever, ever tell you to be stupid with money. I will never, ever, ever tell you not to make any plan for the future. I will tell you don't ever cling to your plan for the future so great that you refuse God's plan for your future. We've got to trust God to provide for us all we need. Some of us need to learn how to be content with what we've been given. Maybe our desire to move onward and upward causes us to, to move away from the will of God in our life. And we don't recognize that God has us where we're at for a reason. We need to learn to be content with what God has given us. And so I ask you, if, if you're in that category, will, will you trust God with your provision
this morning. And I believe that someone here needs to trust God with an even more important part of their life. There's somebody here that if you died this afternoon, deep down in your heart, you know you've never trusted God as your Savior and Lord. You've never been saved. You know that. And I want to ask you this morning, would you, would you place your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus? Will you accept the only way that you can be saved, and that's Jesus Christ this morning? Will you accept what he's already done for you this morning? He's pecking on your heart. He's convicting you. Will you accept him or will you reject him this morning? Let us pray. Father God, God, we come to you. God, thankful that your message is so simple that in thousands of years, it still hasn't changed. That Jesus, you are still the authority. You are still the method. You are still the way by which we are saved. And there is no other way. But God, we come to you recognizing that just like the disciples of that day, we need to be reminded on occasion that God, you have given us the authority. You've given us the message. You've given us the power. And we have no excuse to not share your message. So God, through your house this morning, would you burden the hearts of your people that we would trust you completely, that we would depend on you for everything, and that we would honor you and be obedient to you. By sharing your gospel with a lost and dying world. God, if there be one here this morning who's never trusted you as their Savior and Lord, God, would you save them today? It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.